what do you remember about the changing character of Johnny Dollar when Bob Bailey took over the well, role? Well, of course, I knew nothing of the show until I took over. Mm-hmm. I'd never even heard it. I knew John Lund, but I'd used him on Hollywood Star Playhouse or one of those shows, and Eddie O'Brien. Eddie, incidentally, called me one day after Bob Bailey took over and said, would you give me Bob Bailey's phone number? I just want to tell you and tell him that I think he's doing one hell of a great job and so much better than anything I could have done, that it's, <laughs> which was very nice. Bob Bailey was born on June 13, 1913, in Toledo, Ohio. Years later, John Dunning interviewed his daughter, Roberta. Actually, I started going down to the studio with my father when I had my learner's permit. He went down Sunday. We lived in Pacific Palisades. It was about a 20-mile drive down to Hollywood, down to the big Canex studios on Hollywood Boulevard. Now they've been turned into uh, the CBS television studios when radio went out but then I uh, would drive him down and stay with him the whole day while they got the show ready to go on the air during the week. I enjoyed being down there and I think he was kind of hoping that I the business showbiz bug would bite. It just never quite took. Many actors and actresses don't wish that for their children. It's kind of a, a reversal of what you normally hear. Well my grandmother and grandfather were both in the acting business and so uh, I guess he was hoping that it would pass on to the next generation. He was born literally in a trunk, was on the stage by the time he was a year and a half old, was out in front selling theater bills for $5 a week when he was around eight years old. So he came from a long line. You say he was born literally in a trunk? How did that take Half place? stage in a trunk when uh, my grandma and grandpa were on the road. They played in Virginia City, Piper's Opera House. They were in San Francisco at the time of the earthquake. Mm-hmm. So that was before he was born. But later, they were still performing long after he was born. And also, his brother was in show business, Edwin Bailey. He produced Truth or Consequences all the time it was on the air. Bailey became a Chicago radio regular in the 1940s. He left Chicago to come out here under contract for 20th Century Fox. And he worked for 20th Century Fox, I guess, for a couple of years. During the war years, he was there. Then he went on to radio to do Let George Do It, which he played George Valentine. He did that on Don Lee, wasn't it? Don Lee Network? KHJ. That was what it's, the call letters were, KHJ, and that was downtown. All the big radio stations were within about a four-block area, downtown Hollywood. In 1943, Bailey was signed by 20th Century Fox to a one-year contract. He moved to Hollywood, where he appeared in seven films, including two with Laurel and Hardy. In 1946, he returned to radio, cast as Detective George Valentine and Let George Do It. Francis Robinson was his secretary, Claire Brooks and Eddie Firestone was sunny. The show aired on Fridays at 8 p.m. from KHJ as part of Mutual's Pacific Network of Don Lee stations. Mr. Valentine? Yes? 
Mr. George Valentine? Yes, yes, come right in. Have a seat. Oh, here, take this one. It's softer. Oh, thank you. Oh, don't mention it. Have a cigar? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. You're too young. Here, wait a minute. Here, have a chocolate bar with almonds. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now then, what can I do for you? Well, I came to work for you. Work? I thought you were a client. Oh, no, sir. That's all right. I'll get it. Hey, wait a minute. Good morning. Let George do it. How do you like that? Oh, I can make an appointment for you. I'm Mr. Valentine's confidential assistant. Well, that's nice to know. Oh, well, if you're that close, then come right up, Mr. Winters. Yeah, goodbye, sir. Well, how do you... Now, look here, bottom button. I'm Sonny Brooks. You can call me Sonny. Well, now, look here, Sonny. Who hired you? I come with the office. You see, Caleb, the elevator man, is my friend. He knew I was looking for a job, so he said, Sonny, whoever gets that office gets you, too. Yeah, well, you're too young, Sonny. Things may get a little rough around here. Oh, that's okay, sir. I'm a very rugged character. Now then, Mr. Winters will be here soon. Winters? The mystery writer? Yes, sir. Jonathan Winters. He just phoned. Oh. We can discuss my salary later. I'll go on the payroll as of today. Uh-huh. Whether I like it or not, huh? I have a feeling you're going to become very fond of me, sir. I grow on people. Yeah, like a wart. All right, Sonny, call an employment agency and get me a secretary. Well, that won't be necessary, sir. Why? Don't tell me you type also. No, but my sister does. Your sister? Claire. She'll be here soon to start to work. Well, say, does your whole family go with this office? Oh, well, I don't have much of a family. There's just Claire and me. Oh, well, that's tough, kid. But you're lucky. I haven't even got a sister. <laughs> tell you what, maybe we can sort of look after each other. How about it? Oh, that'll be swell, Mr. Valentine. I'll be glad to take care of you, sir. <laughs> hey, you're okay, Sonny. Oh, you like Claire, too. She's prettier than I am. Oh, perfect. It doesn't matter if she can type or take dictation just so she's prettier than you are. Mr. Valentine? Hmm? Oh, oh, yes, Mr. Winters. Come right in. Mr. Valentine, I'm here because... Well, it doesn't matter what the job is, Mr. Winters. I'm your man. Just throw your problem in my lap and I'll come up with the right answer. Mr. Valentine, I... I'm about to be murdered. Well, I don't take it too seriously. A lot of people... Murdered? Murdered? You're... <clears throat> you're joking, I hope. I'm not joking. Oh, well... Uh, <clears throat> well, that's uh, <clears throat> a little out of my line, Mr. Winters. I mean... Uh, that we, we... Mr. Valentine, I... I... I have been murdered. Oh. Suffering cats. Yeah, well, well, don't stand there, Sonny. Do something. Call somebody. The police. The fire department. Yeah, I'll get a doctor. And Sonny. Yeah, Mr. Valentine? Don't get excited. Look at me. I'm perfectly cool. Billy held the role all the way into the mid-1950s when it finally went off the air. You going up, miss? Is Mr. Valentine's office in this building? Fifth floor, step in. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're, uh, you're clear, ain't you? At a CBS radio affiliates meeting in September of 1955, John Carroll, VP of Sales, predicted CBS's time sold would be more than the other three networks combined. Affiliates were given a segment and selling plan. The plan offered a five-minute segment for $2,100. Privately, many local stations grumbled. CBS had recently instituted income-slashing one-year contracts. Affiliate compensation was cut 20%. But Frank Stanton, president of CBS, boasted that since the birth of radio advertising, more than $8 billion had been spent on commercials. Eight million new radios had been manufactured in 1955, 45% more than the previous year. Five-minute newscasts would dominate the tops of most hours. 
the network was now selling news advertising at its highest rate in history. CBS was excited to announce evening programs with name brand talent, and the $64,000 question would air simulcast on CBS radio. They were also substantially increasing dramatic production. This included two evening strips at 8 p.m. that would air five nights per week for 15 minutes each night. One was to be Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Gerald Moore, who had just finished a successful run as Christopher Storm on TV's Foreign Intrigue. Moore recorded an audition on August 29, 1955. From Hollywood, it's time now for Gerald Moore as... Johnny Dollar. Al Harper at Corinthian, Johnny. Hi, Al. I've got a case here you won't like, but the commission will be good if we beat it. How big is the policy? $200,000. Oh. Yeah, I'm afraid to tell you the rest. Why? It's in Hong Kong. Well, he haven't scared me yet. Johnny, the policyholders are people we've had trouble with before. I'm still not scared. No? You remember the Trans-Pacific Import-Export Office? Yeah. I sent flowers to the widow. Yeah. You still want to crack at it? No, but I will. Al? Yeah? Now I'm scared. Tonight and every weekday night, Gerald Moore in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Corinthian Liability and Risk, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Trans-Pacific matter. Item 1. Plane fare to Hong Kong. Bobbing head of my rickshaw boy, I found Hong Kong to be a city without simplicity, overburdened with the tragic complexities of war. To fill the smallest want is a difficult and expensive task. There's a shortage of everything food, water, health, places to live. Both the island itself and the city of Kowloon over on the mainland were loaded with refugees from the interior, many of them lining the streets, wailing for arms as we made our way to the offices of the American consul. Yes, it is true. Life is very difficult here. Now, where are they all going, Miss... Uh... Where is there for them to go? What do they do? How do they stay alive? Many of them don't. So many of them. It is not like this in, in your America? No. Has it ever been? Well, it was a civil war once. Books say that at times it was pretty bad. But not like this. Oh, never. Louisa. Yes, Mr. Grover. Would you ask Mr. Dollar to step in, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Grover. I got it, thanks. Well, Hartford, Connecticut, huh? Come in, Mr. Dollar. How are you, Mr. Grover? Sit down, sit down. Thanks. That's right. Insurance investigation, huh? Yeah. Well, now, what's your errand and what can the consulate do for you? Well, I'm here to investigate a claim filed by Trans-Pacific Import-Export Company. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Well, Will Meadows' firm was destroyed by fire last month. 100%. Or rather, $200,000 worth to my company. 
Do you know this William Meadows, Mr. Grover? Oh, I've met him at the American Club now and then. That's about all. Uh, insurance investigators are hired when... When the company uh... isn't satisfied with something about the claim. On this one, the fire was blamed on vandalism. Well, vandalism's become quite a popular pastime, across in Kowloon especially. Do you suspect some sort of fraud? Frankly, we do. Trans-Pacific once had a branch in Shanghai. When the war closed in on them, their warehouse was burnt to the ground, just like this one here. Oh, I see. It occurred to some of the people in my home office that Trans-Pacific did much better by collecting on the insurance than if they'd gone through the expense of liquidating. Ah. I suppose coincidence won't quite do it, will it? Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Well, now, how can I help you? Well, I'd appreciate some phone calls or letters that would give me support from the fire department and the police. Mm. Yes, of course you would. I don't suppose my problem seems very important out here. I was thinking that very thing. You know, it's always the case, Mr. Dollar. On the fringe of war, very few individual problems seem really important. Nor the individuals themselves. I trust you'll keep that in mind. I'll try to. Uh, Getting help, even time, from the police or fire brigade is one of those individual problems. But I'll do what I can for you. Anything will help, Mr. Grover. I won't take any more of your time. Oh, um, be sure to leave your number with my girl. I'll let you know about the official assistance. Well, I came right here from the airport. I don't have a number yet. Oh. For uh, no hotel? No. Pretty tough? As a matter of fact, almost impossible. The accidental places are always filled. Uh, I tell you, speak with my receptionist, Miss uh, Vedras. Is that her name? Vedras? Uh, yes. Her father's half Portuguese, owns a small hotel. He might have accommodations. Good. I'll ask her. Thanks again. Oh, uh, Mr. Dollar, uh, just a matter of interest. Yeah? The case of Trans-Pacific Import in Shanghai. You say your company was forced to meet the claim there? That's right. Or was it uh, investigated? The investigator they sent over was killed before he could build a case. Jerry was a rather flamboyant... Do you remember the thing that he made in Sweden? Foreign Intrigue. intrigue. Yeah, Foreign Intrigue. That was Uh, later. Jerry played... Foreign intrigue before foreign intrigue. He wore a raincoat or a top coat on the outside. He never put his hands in it. <laughs> it like a cape? Seriously, he wore it as a cape. And he was very swashbuckly debonair. And he took that cape off and he sat down. He had a very beautiful voice. He's, yeah, he's a, a very good actor, good radio actor, better radio actor, I thought, a than real he was. Good actor. But he was he was a joy because of his flamboyant attitude and well, how's everything going? <laughs> he is, uh, but he was marvelous. And a ladies' man, holy cow. <laughs> the ladies went bananas. They really did. Jack Johnstone was brought in to direct, but Moore didn't take the part. New auditions were held the next month. Each actor had 20 minutes to pitch themselves and perform a five-page audition script with Lillian Bayev. Among those who read were radio mainstays Paul Dubov, Larry Thor, Jack Moyles, Tony Barrett, Vic Perrin, and the man they selected, Bob Bailey. 